0: One of the things that um, is is always, it's just special to watch, Um, it's the moment of a wedding as the groom and his groomsmen have made their way to the front and the bridesmaids have made their way and you begin to watch this gentleman looking back toward the back door or toward the corner of something that's going to happen in a few moments. And, and it doesn't mean that his groomsmen, and some of his best friends throughout his life aren't important. It doesn't mean that these bridesmaids aren't special. Likely he's got parents, grandparents, others there in the audience. But man, there is something about this young lady that has so captured his heart that everything else seems to fade away. And his intent and focus is staring in that direction. It's just a special moment. He is waiting for that bride, right, to open those doors or to turn that corner and come. That he might embrace her and begin this relationship that he is excited about to enjoy and treasure with her. In fact, it would be hard probably for us to imagine to see that this gentleman standing there on the stage, instead of looking there, he's got his phone out texting or, or seemingly right preoccupied with his buddies as if this doesn't matter in that moment. We might be concerned about is he really interested, is he really prepared. Today, this text calls us as the church to look toward Christ to realize that one day soon the the door, so to speak, of heaven will swing wide and the King of glory will come returning to the earth. But today's text reminds us that it's in fact possible, according to Jesus, to not see and recognize the times that the return is coming. Or to become so consumed with the world that we forget to live as if it, though it's in fact the end. Today, you might need to ask yourself, have I gotten spiritually lazy, focused on so many other things that I forget about what is actually primary and most important? You see, this is one of the reasons why the church gathers Sunday after Sunday to hear God's word. It is a way of reorienting our minds and hopefully our hearts and our lives to what is actually important. It is a reminder week after week as we hear God's word that this life is temporary and there is an eternal one coming. Why? Because the culture does not scream those things. So week after week we draw in here and hear this truth and today Jesus begins to speak to us to tell us how to be ready for the return of Christ. That's pretty major, pretty important, right? That there is a way, as Paul says, he says to us, he says, wake up. From your slumber. For your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. This text says today, be ready and active because Jesus is returning sooner than we think. Be ready and active because Jesus is returning sooner than we think. Today's text is Matthew 24, and we were there just a couple weeks ago. Prior Last week we had changer sharing, but the week before that we walked through the first 30 or so verses of Matthew 24 and wrestled with a lot of end times things. And today is a continuation of that message. And as we wrestle with this, I think the text maybe breaks into three specific texts or sections. One is how to interpret the end times. Secondly, how to be ready or, or to know, right, to see that the end times going to come suddenly. And third, the ask of the question is this, are you ready? So if you would, just for a moment, I, I've just felt my own heart and mind just struggling, being a little distracted this morning and, and just being honest throughout worship, just in general today, I'm just struggling a little bit more, maybe just to, to, to be honed in and, and So if you would, if you just do me the favor right now, I want to pray, but I'm just going to ask, would you just pray for me just for a moment, just that God would help me and also help you, right, to hear God's word. So let's just pause just for a moment. Lord, I confess and acknowledge my weakness and my frailty. I hear the words of Richard Baxter that we shared this past week with our children. That he spoke as a dying man to dying men. I realize that these moments are not trivial, Lord. God, I confess that I've been a little distracted. That my heart and mind—I've just struggled, Lord, throughout Sunday school, throughout the time of worship, through song. I'm battling, Lord, but I just confess right now that I'm weak. And so, God, I just—I pray right now that you would cause my heart and mind to focus in on Christ. I pray for any of my brothers and sisters, Lord. Maybe they too are struggling this morning. Would you just strengthen them? I pray for those, Lord, who by your great grace, God, today is just one of those moments in which, Lord, it's just been a sweet time of fellowship and union with you. I pray that you would help them bear our our weaknesses and that they would be active in prayer throughout this time, Lord, just praying for other brothers and sisters in this room. Thank you, God, for the body of Christ. Lord, how dangerous it would be, how sad it would be if we were alone in this. But thank you for a body in which we can just say, I'm weak today. Would you help me? Thank you, God, for a family like this where we can bear our souls to one another and realize, hey, I know what that looks like because I, too, struggle with that. Lord, I pray now that you would display through the power of the resurrected Christ that your power is made perfect in our weakness. I pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. So the first truth, right, that comes to us, how to be ready for the return of Christ, is this truth, learn to interpret the times. Right, If you're to be ready for the return of Christ, you need to learn to interpret the times. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 32 to 35. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. All right guys, I got to pray, man. I, I I'm struggling this morning. Would you just would you just pause and just pray with me, please? Man, we we battle, uh, as Paul says, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, principalities, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And um, uh, man, I just feel such spiritual opposition this morning. Just um, and so I just um, I pray for the strength of the Lord. Um, I covet your prayers deeply. Let's read this text again. God help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Verse 32 of Matthew 24. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus uses the fig tree, right, to show us as we see those branches or those twigs becoming tender. He says when you begin to notice that, it's a sign that summer is on its way. And then he begins to tell us, again, I think this is maybe some of the most difficult texts to interpret exactly of what Jesus is saying, but let's do our best to wrestle with it for a moment. Look what he says, verse 33. So also when you see all these things, right? So there's a question of what is Jesus referring to with all these things? I think he's looking back to what we talked about in previous weeks, right? Uh, verses 4 to uh, 31 or so when he talks about the fact that you're going to see about earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of war. You're going to see about the abomination of desolation. And we talked through that a little bit. You're going to see the moment when people are literally fleeing and running from Jerusalem. So, so he talks about all these things, right? That's contextually what he's just been mentioning in the previous 30 plus verses. But look look what he says further here in verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things, again he reiterates that statement, all these things take place. So again, Jesus says to us, listen, the, the question is, well what's he saying when he says, truly I say this generation, he says they're not going to pass away, indicating they're not going to die Typically throughout scripture when the words this generation is used, it typically speaks of the people present, right? A 40 year or so generation of those being present when those words are spoken. So there are some who see this and say, you know what, when it speaks of all these things and Jesus speaking of that generation not passing away, it must indicate that Jesus is talking about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus dies somewhere in the roughly the period of 30 AD, Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. All right, and so they see this and saying, "You'll you'll see these things. This generation, right? These these people who are living are going to see this destruction of Jerusalem coming, right?" And so the indication is that these things reveal the fact that guess what, the end is near. the, the time is drawing near. Now we realize that we've now been some roughly almost two thousand years since that happened, and so we would say, well, yes, those things are coming near, right? But maybe the sign or the destruction of Jerusalem is a reminder to us of the greater destruction that's coming. That this world is coming to an end. That Christ is one day going to return. And so there are those who then take this statement of This generation and say, well, that generation that Jesus says there speaks more generally or broadly of Christians throughout history. And so that's how they began to interpret that these things, all these things speak not only of that time, but also of the end time. It's a challenging, right, text to, to interpret. And, and my intention was to do my best to briefly give you some details and not overwhelm. And so that's what I'm trying to do this morning. Some of you, again, you're, you're, you're super interested in the end times. And and you've wrestled maybe with some of this. of How do we interpret some of these things? And, and what was Jesus saying here? And so I want to encourage you to keep pursuing. And maybe you want to have some deeper combos. Let's have those conversations. But whatever exactly, again, is the full meaning fulfillment of all that jesus is saying here about all these things and this generation not passing away let us not miss the fact that jesus says the end times and the things that are unveiling in your time point to the fact this world will not last forever Right, Some of these passages are maybe a little less clear, but then you flip to places like 2 Timothy 3 where we hear that in the end times people will become lovers of money, lovers of themselves, boasters, disobedient to their parents, right? They'll reject the truth. And we start to say, you know what, I'm seeing those things everywhere. And Jesus says, or Paul writes there, and he says that, listen, those are all signs or markers that this world is coming to an end. We might hear this today, this text about, again, seeing that the things are, these signs and events unfolding are signs that the end is coming. It's kind of like, I don't know, any of you here, is anybody here a fan of like their alarm clock going off? Anybody enjoy that sound? Maybe I'd ask just another question. Who of you in here maybe are a person that has a tendency to hit the snooze? Any of you snoozers, right? It's kind of like, Right, I, I won't forget, we had an opportunity last night to actually uh, gather with some of my college roommates and their families and hung out. One of my college roommates had this tendency that, that he would literally set up like five or six alarms throughout the room. But what he would do is, as one alarm got up, he would run out of his bed, hit, and knock that alarm off, and then get back in the bed, right? And so literally throughout the morning, you're hearing all these stinking alarms going off and like, dude, just get up already. But listen, the challenge is that sometimes it's just hard to get up. I think that can often happen when it comes to the end times and events unfolding around us. As if we hear it and see it, we just begin to hit snooze. As if it's not indicating this world will not last forever. The King is returning. So I want to compel you, guess what? The truth is, no matter how many times you may hit snooze in the morning, guess what? That day is still coming. No matter how many times a day you may want to hit snooze on God and His Word and the, the, the revelation of the end times, the truth is they are still coming. So it's wise for us to study, like we are right now in Sunday school, many of our classes, the book of Revelation. Trying to interpret and understand. And maybe you would say, hey, I would love to hear more about that. Back in 2013, we actually preached through that entire book. And you can go back and listen and hear some of those messages But again, what's important, Jesus says, is, listen, I want you to know that as soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus says, learn the lesson. Recognize when you see things happening, the end is coming. So when you see wars and rumors of war, famines, earthquakes, when you see other prophetic events of Scripture unfolding before your very eyes, Jesus says, let it remind you this world will not last forever. So, if you are to be ready for the end, Jesus says, know how to interpret the end times. Secondly, Jesus says to us, no one knows when the end is coming, so be ready. Right? No one knows when the end is coming, so stay ready. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 36, the following verse. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Did you hear that statement? But concerning that day and hour, look what he says here. So talking about the very end, when Christ will return, what's his statement? No one what? No one knows. No one. So that means the guy on the side of the road holding the sign, he doesn't know. He may think he knows, but he doesn't know. And give it time and he'll prove that he didn't know. The person on social media and they've got all this scripture and this and this and that. And they've figured out this, how it points to that. And this a logarithm and this number factors this number. And they've got exactly figured out when the day and hour will come. Jesus says they are deceived and they are deceiving you. Because the truth is Jesus himself says no one what? Nobody knows. But then he says a really hard statement that's challenging. So let's hear it again contextually for a moment. Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, the day and hour of Christ's return, look what he says. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor who, but the Father only. I hear you, Miss Mary, yeah. So nobody knows the day or the hour, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This begins to, I think, pose a great question, right? Because we understand God is this... um. Omniscient being, right? So God is omni indicates all, right? And science indicates knowledge. So he has all knowledge, all, all knowing. So we, 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 that, that fits. That's who God is, but Jesus is God. So how does Jesus as God say, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the sun. Is Jesus saying that he's not God? No, Jesus is revealing here in this moment, The fact that he's not only fully God, he's also fully what? Man, guess what? Verse 35 and 36 actually affirm that truth. Look what he says. Rewind it just for a moment. Verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will not what, church? They will not pass away. Jesus affirming that he's God. He says, I'm like God. My words will last forever. I am God. And yet in the very next verse, he says, when it comes to the end, he doesn't know. So what's happening here? In this moment, we have the balance, right, of what's called the hypostatic union, right? This this, this two essence, Jesus coming fully God, fully man in this one person, right? It's, it's mind-boggling to even consider or think for a moment. But Jesus here in verse 36, when he says that he doesn't know, he's highlighting his humanity. This isn't something necessarily new, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. In Matthew chapter 4, we heard that Jesus was in fact hungry. In John chapter 4, he sits down at the well, right? And the woman at the well, he'll come and have that meeting. But he sat down by the well because he was what? He was tired. And then he's thirsty. I heard you, yeah. Right, we have these different markers of Jesus being fully God and yet fully man. It's what happens in Philippians chapter 2, right? And as it speaks to us and it says that Jesus, though fully God, right, he empties himself and takes on the nature of a servant. So Jesus, when he comes to earth, Right? All of it, he surrenders all of his rights and privileges as king of the universe. It's perplexing to consider, but the truth is this passage here, when it says that no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only, it reminds us that Christ was willing to humble himself and come. Why? Because you and I can't save ourselves. The fact that Jesus, fully God, right, becomes fully man is a reminder to you and I that we cannot rescue ourselves. And we needed someone who could come in the form of human flesh and be tempted in the every way that you and I are, and yet He would not give in. Therefore, He could go to the cross not paying for His own sins, but for whose? Ours. See, He dies on that cross as our representative in the presence of God as if He lived our sinful life, taking the judgment of God. He's buried, but on the third day, by the power of God, what happens, church? He's raised again to declare that God had accepted his payment for our sin. Today, as you hear this this, this coming together of Christ fully God and yet fully man, it is a mind-boggling, head-scratching one. But, beloved, it screams to you and I that we are in desperate need of a substitute one who could bear the judgment and wrath of God, one who could face temptation and not give in. We need a sinless Savior. We need Jesus. That's what this passage is screaming to us. And so Jesus now gives us three examples of why we need to know that the end is coming and we need to stay ready. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. So what he says he 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 makes this parallel between the days of Noah. Right. And he says, so like it was the days of Noah, it's going to be when the, the son of man returns. Right? He reiterates it twice, right? So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. He doesn't want you to miss it. He says, listen, Noah and the flood are a reminder to you and I of the suddenness of judgment. The world wasn't prepared for the flood to come, right? Look what he says they were doing. The world was what? They were eating, drinking, marrying, right? It was just everyday life. Everything was going on. They were assuming, listen, the end's not coming. But then all of a sudden it came upon them suddenly and they were taken away. Jesus says, so it will be when I come back, right? I mean, we sit here and wonder, how can people not know when they see wars and famines and earthquakes and the mark of the beast and this and all that unfolding? But might we ask the same question? I mean, maybe it's true of you or maybe someone you know that They were living a life that was just maybe wild and and contrary to the word of God. And man, they experienced some tragic and and epic moments in their life. And you would think, surely that'll get their attention. But soon after those moments, they walk away and walk right back to that old way of life. And you're thinking, what? How could they not see that? Furthermore, think about the suddenness of the condo collapse just a few weeks back in Miami. Miami. Maybe it's too far away from here geographically to shake us and get our attention. But guys, I think it has to be a sobering example of how the end will come just suddenly. Nobody's expecting that. You don't walk into your condo thinking it's going to collapse today. Guess what? The people didn't think the flood was coming. Jesus says in the same way, we don't really think Jesus is coming again. Right? And we know this analogy, right? As Jesus speaks here, right? It reminds us not just of the return of the Son of Man. None of us here today are thinking we're going to die today. But the truth is, that could be, it could be today for any of us. And Jesus warns to not live as if you'll never die. Not live as if you think Christ will never return. He says, you are to be ready. Jesus gives another example. Verse 40 and 41. He says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Right? We're not necessarily sure the imagery of taken, right? See that, that there? Right? Does that mean they're taken away to judgment? Does that mean the people are taken and, and, and gathered to God's people? We're not necessarily sure exactly what's happening, right? The point is it comes suddenly and the break is shocking. Why? Well, look at the, the example he gives in verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and the one left, right? Historians tell us that typically women would be opposite of one another. They would be turning this large meal about 180 degrees. But likely what this would happen is it would often happen with families. And so you might have a mother on one side and a daughter on the other. The striking imagery hopefully is not lost on you. In a moment, boom, one's taken, the other's left. The moment is it ought to cause us light as we think about our own families, as you contemplate your own children or grandchildren, as you consider for a moment, right, your spouse, as you think about right children and nieces and nephews, as you think about friends and co-workers who are refusing to repent and believe Jesus warns that that moment will come suddenly. And one will be taken and one will be left. He says it is a a moment of suddenness and the break is eternal. Listen, those who are taken to be in the presence of the Lord or those who are taken to judgment, whatever it is, it is eternal. And the separation is forever. Listen, guys, I want to challenge you this morning. Pray, ask God, give me opportunity to share the gospel with my family. God, give me courage. Lord, I know it may be awkward, but Lord, this verse alone reminds me that it trumps my awkwardness. As we prepare to take the gospel to Greensburg in the coming weeks, have you considered that those homes that we're going to go to are actually the home of someone's loved ones? That door that you may knock on. That might be the door of a godly grandmother who's been praying for years. Or maybe she's gone on to glory, but she was praying and crying out to God day after day. God, save my family. God, send someone to my family. Might August 29th, that Sunday morning, might it be you that shows up at that door? Answering the prayers of that godly grandmother that one would not be taken and one left? Where's all this pointing? What Jesus says in verse 42. I I think verse 42 is kind of capturing all the text of what's happening around us today. Therefore, stay awake. For, here's the reason why you're to stay awake. Listen to that again. Stay awake. For, he says, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He says, you don't know. It's going to come suddenly. Suddenly. It compels us to live against stay awake, live in obedience. The text isn't saying that we're not ever allowed to rest, but it's warning us against complacent living, against being spiritually lazy, of making light of the things of God and cherishing the things of the world. He says, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And then he gives a third example. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I can't imagine if there were any of us here tonight that knew that a thief was coming, right? Think about home alone, right? When he hears what time they're going to be there and he's working and setting everything up and making sure, right, that he knows. But I mean... Can you imagine if you thought a thief was coming? You knew a thief was coming at a certain time. Would you not be ready? I mean, I think we would be appalled in this room if there was a man in this room who knew a thief was coming to his house that night and he fell asleep with his wife and children in there, not prepared, not defended. Jesus says, listen, guys, what's ironic here is that people seem to be asleep. They're not awake and recognizing. Listen, spiritual sleepiness reveals itself. It reveals itself throughout different ways in the church. Maybe a lack of prayer and an urgency to pray for the lost as if we can just show up and knock on a door and we'll have the power to overcome the the forces of evil. Guys, we can't do it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we begin praying in advance. God, would you prepare our hearts? Would you prepare their hearts that they might be good soil? We know that there's an enemy comes who snatched the seed that's sown. We know the cares of the world would choke it out. But Lord, we know that you have the power. You have the strength. Spiritual laziness not only in the church but in our own lives. Of treating our time alone with the Lord as if it's optional. Maybe I'll read today, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll spend time in prayer today, maybe I won't. That becomes dangerous. Maybe it's, for you, it's church attendance. And church attendance has just become optional. As if you'll come when it's convenient, if something else doesn't come up. But the New Testament mandates that we are to gather together on the Lord's Day. That's what the church does. Maybe there's just... Some reminders in your life like there are in my life that I have a tendency to hit snooze and sleep Jesus warns that the end will come he says, therefore you also must be ready look at he reiterates it again, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Can you imagine maybe today you knew that on the evening of Sunday, August 29th, that someone here in Greene County or Greensburg, their house was going to be broken into. Would you not feel obligated to go and tell them, to warn them? The truth is, we don't know if their home's going to be broken into, but we do know that Christ is going to return or death will come to them and they will face judgment. Do we not feel just as compelled to go and share with them that there is hope of rescue? There's a God who came to die on the cross to save them from the judgment and wrath that is to come. Do we not feel obligated as a church to go and share that gospel? Right. I think it was casting grounds. I can hear them just like maybe echoing in my head. In the shadow of our steeple, there's a lots of lost and what? Lonely people. In the shadow of this church, just right around the streets around, there are people dying and going to hell. Guys, we as a church hear this truth and we say, guys, we must live it and respond. We must go to them. So Jesus says, since no one knows the day or the hour, you must stay ready. And I think that brings us to the last question that you have to answer. I think Jesus poses it as a question. Just kind of to ask yourself, which am I more like? In other words, am I ready or am I not? He gives two examples here, kind of asking the question, are you ready? Are you, You've heard all about these end times, but you, you need to answer now, are you ready? That's what he says, beginning verse 45. This is the first example of the faithful servant. Look what he says. This is the person who is ready. So again, he's going to give you two examples. You need to decide today, which am I more like? Look what he says, verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Notice here how Jesus says those who are actually ready for the return of Christ. Notice what he says. He just calls them faithful and wise servants right notice that he's just he's giving food at the proper time why is this important because i think in the light of all of this discussion about the end times and all this imagery and all these things jesus says the person is ready is not in fact the person that may have figured out what every symbol or every moment means or they figured out every date and time or what this interpretation of what daniel was saying is actually here unfolding they figured out well the 1260 days they figured out the mark of the beast they figured out when the when the dragon who will come and what it'll be and who's going to rise up from this horn and all that listen those are exciting I, I think we ought to be pursuing those things trying to figure them out but notice what Jesus says about the person who is in fact ready he doesn't say they figured everything out about the end times although that is important to search and pursue that he says the person that's ready is in fact the person that is living obediently to Christ right now is that you and listen I mean like Notice what he says. This, this faithful and wise servant, the master, has set him over his household. Notice what he does. He's, just, he's giving them their food at the proper time. Food is sometimes imagery of the biblical truth, right? And so we realize the apostles are there and the disciples right, are around, and we know that they're going to be teaching the truth of the Scriptures. And so there's a call to be faithful and obedient to that. So we ought to hear that today as preachers. Right? That, that's my aim. I don't want to get up here and fake it. I want to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no strength in Blake Jesse to change anyone. Right here, Paul saying to us, our message and our preaching are not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on a man's wisdom, but on the very power of God. I hope that's what you long for and want. It's the power of God to strengthen, to open these scriptures to you and me. So might it be a call to us as teachers... As preachers, as Sunday school teachers, as those who work with children and youth, that we would be faithful to give them the food that lasts eternally. This must mean that, listen, as we preach and teach in this moment, this is why we give to the centralness of our service the Word of God. It's not because we think Brother Todd and I are that important. We think God's Word's that important. It holds center place. Why? Because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So I want to compel you, compel my own soul. Are we being faithful in our Sunday school classes to focus in on the Word? As we work with children and youth, we start back tonight. Five o'clock, we'll eat, 5.30. Children and youth will begin to unfold. As we make disciples, guys, we must take them to the Word. Are we giving that food in the proper time? But I think a second maybe way to understand this that's helpful is is to remind ourselves that giving food is often mundane, isn't it? I mean, how many of you here at times sit there and think, man, what are we going to cook tonight or what are we going to eat tonight? Like it can just get like, man. But go without feeding your family for a few days and see what happens, how vital that actually is. Why did I say that? Because the reality is it can feel like sometimes serving here in the church as a teacher or driving a bus or serving a meal, or working in audio-visual, or working in the security in the back, or wherever, right, you may be serving in whatever area, the temptation over time is to think, am I really making any difference? I'm just giving food after all. It seems so mundane, so venable. But Jesus says, in fact, it is that faithful, wise, obedient servant that is, in fact, ready for my return. So let it encourage you to see that obedience brings glory to christ it is a revelation of the fact that god who began a good work in you is bringing it to completion as we say that guys i want to remind us all that our heart in that moment is important it's not just serving to be serving to get a checklist or to feel better about ourselves it is to show that christ has redeemed us and we desire now to serve others as he has served us right we can never repay the greatness of his sacrifice But our serving is a reflection, a response of worship to say, look what you've done for me, my king. Surely I can serve and wash feet however you want me to. Why? Because I love my neighbor as myself. Because the risen king now indwells me. So I want to encourage you. Be obedient and faithful. Jesus says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, listen to this encouragement. Because again, it can feel mundane at times to serve. And many of you have been serving for longer than I've even been alive. I can imagine there's times when you feel weary and exhausted. Listen to Jesus just encourage you just for a moment. Listen to this. Verse 47 of Matthew 24. Truly I say to you, He will set Him over all His possessions. Christ speaks the return and the rewards that are to come to encourage us to not lose heart and grow weary they remain faithful so again jesus says you want to know if you're ready for my return you want to know today if you are ready for death he says look at your life are you living faithfully and obedient right as an expression of your salvation This is not to earn the salvation. This is an expression of what Christ has done. This is receiving him by faith and now responding with our lives. But the question is, are you ready? So there is a faithful servant. But Jesus says there are also those who are not ready. And listen to how he describes them. Verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. And begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice what's at the heart of the wicked servant. So again, Jesus defines here this wicked servant. Notice what he says. The wicked servant says to himself, my master is what? Delayed. In other words, they think they have more time. Right? They, they bought into the devil's lies that you can get serious about Jesus and the church when you get married or when you go off to college or after you graduate college or once you have children, you'll get serious again or once you once you retire, then you'll really get committed again. Jesus says that's the thought process of a wicked servant. They think their master's delayed. They always think they have more time to start getting right, start getting serious. Jesus warns against that way of life. The Bible compels you and I, saying today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Do not be deceived. No man is promised tomorrow. None of us here are promised another day, beloved. Today is the day. Now is the time. Repent and believe upon Christ. With everything in me, I beg you, do not refuse him. Notice what else he says about this wicked servant. He says they begin to beat their fellow servants. They're unloving and uncaring about those around them. Pavey shared with me, she's been working evidently in her Sunday school class on a Bible verse saying love is not, she's in the nursery, love is not what? Rude. As soon as she said it to me, I was like, well, that is a hard one. I struggle with that. And I was like, little lady, I think you're going to struggle with that. I didn't say that. But that's what I was thinking inside, right? Love is not Rude. But again, this is the heartbeat of the wicked servant. They begin to beat their fellow servants. They're unloving and uncaring about those around them. They look for ways to tear down others and not build them up. Instead of looking to serve one another, they're thinking, why aren't more people serving me? And notice what else he says about them. They begin to eat and drink with drunkards. It's an indication they've embraced their best life now, that this life is actually about all that you can give and all that you can gain and earn. They stopped serving others and started seeking what satisfies them. Maybe it's an area or areas of sin that the Bible clearly condemns as sin. They've learned to embrace it because, after all, that's what makes them happier, makes them feel best. Jesus warns against eating and drinking with others who will just affirm the way you feel is right. And listen to the terror of the moment, guys. I just want to read it so we can just hear it. Verse 50. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces. That's graphic. That's horrific judgment. And put him, notice what he says. This this is again, we're we're wondering how in the world could this happen? Notice what he says. He puts him with the who? The hypocrites. They've claimed to be one way, but the reality is their life reveals something else totally. He says, where will they end up? He says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's Jesus' description of hell. He uses it several times throughout the Gospels. Indicates this place of physical, emotional, mental suffering that lasts for eternity. I want to ask today, just simply, are you ready? Which of those two servants describes You? Reality is, I think probably most all of us feel the weight of that. And again, instead of compelling us to hide and get mad and frustrated and say, well, there must not be any hope. No, I think it should compel us instead to look to the true word, the law that gives life, and let it point us to Christ. Let it point us to his sufficiency, his grace that is greater than all of our sin. And as you see the beauty of Christ and his sacrifice, I'm telling you, it will overwhelm your soul to go and to serve and to live faithfully. It's the hope of the gospel. The text compels us that our consistent faithful obedience is a declaration that we have understood the times, that we are staying ready, and that we are prepared for when the master returns. To the unbeliever. Today's text sounds the warning, do not delay. Do not be deceived. The king is coming on a day and an hour when you and I will not be ready unless we are looking to Christ. Are you ready? If not, I compel you with all that is in me. Look to Christ. Be reconciled to him by putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. pray you will and i pray for those who are in christ that this compels you just to keep serving faithfully looking toward the end in christ's return would you pray with me lord jesus thank you for strength god just to preach thank you for the prayers of your people just to silence the voice of the enemy just 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 rattling my cage god I thank you, God, that even in our weakness, you are strong. Thank you that your power is perfect in our weakness. Therefore, I stand with Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, God, we struggle, Lord. We all have a tendency to be wicked and unfaithful servants, Lord, to to think about the things of the world more, to get consumed with our lives. So, Lord, I pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word today, that you would use it just to transform and shape our hearts. God, please transform us. Lord, I pray lastly for anyone in this room who is truly not ready. God, would you open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ who came and took their sin on the cross, was buried on the third day, raised again to declare his victory. God, please, show that. Lift your son high. You said when your son is lifted up, you will, he will draw all men unto himself. So, Lord, I pray today by the lifting up of your son to the preached word that you will draw people unto him. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcasts of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.